I was thinking uh, leading up to this about this passage in Hebrews 4 that we know so well. It says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The message says this, we don't have a high priest who is out of touch with our reality. Just been thinking about this. Last week, Andy did an amazing job, didn't he? Speaking about birth pains. He seemed, he seemed to know them better than he should. <laughs> and he just did this incredible job of, of taking Romans 8 and explaining probably a feeling that we are all walking in. That feeling where we know we're on the cusp of something. For the Christian, it's an exciting time, and at the same time, it can be a painful time. And for the world, it's often a very uncertain time. But he talked about how the world is groaning. Creation is groaning, and the Christian is groaning, and the Spirit is groaning. And I was thinking, what a privilege it is for me. I have godly parents. I have parents who loved Jesus from the time that I can remember. They were radically saved. And I remember being involved in a, in a, um, a prayer meeting, uh, maybe when I was a, a teenager. And um, my mom was standing there, and she was praying. And she was using words like you and I know today, English. And she was praying, and she was praying. And there was this anticipation in the room that the, that the Spirit of God just wanted to break something in our meeting, in this little prayer meeting we were having. And as she was praying and praying, it was like all of a sudden the words she was using could not say what she needed to say. And in this breath, what she did in that moment, it wasn't, it wasn't fabricated. It was just in this moment, it was like I heard my mom giving birth. And she's praying in English, and all of a sudden she just goes, It was a groan, too deep for words. But in that moment, God broke something in that room. See, this, this walk of Christianity is not something that we just understand by reading a book. When you go to school, you read a book, and you get things in here, and isn't it amazing how quickly, when we take in information as human beings, it really does puff this thing up, doesn't it? But what's also amazing is that Paul writes in Scripture, he says, I pray that you would know uh, the love of God through experience. The Amplified says, practically through experience, that you would know it. It's, it's the length, the breadth, the width, the, the height. It's the first time we see four dimensions addressed in the Bible. And the Bible is, what is Paul saying? He's saying, I want you to know the love of God, not by mere knowledge, but through experience. 
Isn't it amazing? When we take in information, like in school or this kind of thing, it can puff this up. But isn't it amazing when the Spirit of God ministers to us, it grows our heart. And I do believe that Jesus is interested in redeeming his people, spirit, soul, and body, mind, will, and emotions. I really believe this morning, I'm, I was sensing this, and I, I haven't even gone too hard into Acts necessarily, but um, I just felt this morning that God wants to minister the baptism of the Holy Spirit to people, and he wants to minister his fire to people. I didn't tell anyone that, and the word fire is popping up in all these songs. I come in and Paul's preaching about, uh, praying about the, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Maybe, maybe you knew that, that I was doing this already. But the Bible is clear when it says this, that we as believers are not called to keep in seat with the Spirit. So much of our Christianity is keep in seat with the Spirit. We sit on a nice warm chair, we watch a nice show, we do all these things, but the Bible tells us that we are called to keep in step with the Spirit. It says this in the message, since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold, on, hold it as an idea in our hands or a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implication in every detail of our lives. That means we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us were better and another worse. We have far more interesting things to do in our lives. Each of us is an original. You know, when we don't live our lives in the Spirit, we find ourselves doing something, which is the, the whole thing of comparison. We start comparing how successful our Christian life is to the next person. Are we sharing the gospel like the next person? Are we loving like the next person? Are we this? Are we that? And what the Bible is telling us is that each of us is an original. And when we live our lives in step with the Spirit, we are more interested in what the Spirit wants to do in us and through us than if He's doing it more in and through others. And I really believe that Jesus is interested in building a church that is on the move. I don't know about you, but for a lot of the last two years, I have been mourning the past in a weird way. I can't wait. I can't wait till things go back to normal. Who, who said that? Yeah. You know, this week, as I was preparing, I suddenly, I read something and I suddenly had this instant awareness that things are not ever going back to normal. What am I saying? Hasn't our world tried to use what's going on to encourage us, if we all just get on board, if we do this, if we do that, if this, everything lines up, then guess what? We will get back to normal. But you know what I realized? Jesus is not interested in the church from two years ago. Let's think about that. Jesus is not interested in the church going back to where it was two years ago. Wes is not interested in the Wes from two years ago. My wife is not interested in the Wes from two years ago. 
right? Why? Because Jesus is on the move. The Bible says, Jesus said, uh, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay. Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Why? Jesus was on the move. And we as Christ followers, we get sucked into the vortex of the world and we think, oh, I just want things to go back to the way they were. Do you know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like the Israelites. When we were in Egypt, we had this. Well, back in Egypt, you were slaves. Things ain't going back to normal. God is mobilizing his church. God is more interested than a transformed church than a comfortable church. He's more interested in keeping in his church being in step with the Spirit than keeping in seat with the Spirit. <laughs> because when the Spirit says go, we need to go. And when the Spirit says stay, we need to stay. Paul, there was moments in Paul's ministry where the, the Spirit of God literally told him, don't preach the gospel right now. But his lifestyle was a lifestyle of constantly preaching the gospel. There is a stepping out of the boat that's coming. Matthew 10 says this. Jesus, to his disciples, he's commissioning his disciples to go out and test out the authority that he's given them. It says this. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, and freely you give. I don't know what your background is. In our connect group this week, we talked about briefly our backgrounds. What, what did you, were you raised a Christian? What type of church were you in? Can I suggest... For the church that Jesus is building for tomorrow, we all have to be willing to lay down our past, take the good, leave the bad. When I moved here from Toronto, I did what we all do, I'm sure. Maybe you haven't done this and you're a better person than me. Well, in Toronto, well, that's not how we did it in the church. Well, we had this. We didn't do that. Do you know what happens when we live our lives like that? The ceiling of yesterday becomes the ceiling of tomorrow. See, God was building something when I was in Toronto. But in order for my ceiling to become my floor, I have to lay that thing down and say, God, there must be more. Wow, that was like a rhyme. <laughs> I feel like that guy who... No, I can't. I don't remember it. <laughs> but I think, honestly, for a lot of us, the mindsets of yesterday, that's the way it was, that's the way it is, that's the way it's going to be. That is the thing that holds us back from stepping in to what God has for us. Can you imagine, I, I was thinking like, we're, we're going into this series on Acts, and, and the, the, the pivotal moment, what, what kicks Acts off is the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 
But I imagine that after the death and resurrection of Jesus and Jesus ascends and he says, just wait, just wait, just wait. I'm sending someone. And I imagine people, some people there who didn't experience the outpouring, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, sitting there and thinking, well, when Jesus was here in the flesh, why would it be any different? Well, when Jesus was here, he wouldn't have. Maybe Martha and Mary are having this conversation. Mary, Jesus would have told you just to let me do what I'm doing. Jesus told you not to worry so much. But you know what I'm saying? Let's read John 16 in the message. This passage I just referenced. It says, I've told you these things to prepare you for rough times ahead. They are going to throw you out of the meeting places. There will even come a time when anyone who kills you will think he's doing God a favor. That became the story of Paul, didn't it? Saul, who became Paul. They will do things, they will do these things because they never really understood the Father. I've told you these things so that when the time comes and they start in on you, you'll be well warned and ready for them. And then it says, the friend will come. I didn't tell you this earlier because I was with you every day. But now I am on my way to the one who sent me. No one of you has asked, where are you going? Instead, the longer I've talked, the sadder you've become. So let me say it again, this truth. It's better for you that I leave. If you're there, you're thinking... On what planet is it better for you to leave Jesus? Right? On what planet? And Jesus says, if I don't leave, the friend won't come. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he'll expose the error of the godless world's view of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He'll show them that their refusal to believe in me is their basic sin. That righteousness comes from above, where I am with the Father, out of their sight and control. And that judgment takes place as the ruler of this godless world is brought to trial and convicted. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't handle them now. But when the friend comes, the spirit of truth, he will take you by the hand and guide you into all the truth there is. He won't draw attention to himself, but will make sense out of what is about to happen. And indeed, out of all that I have done and said, he will honor me. He will take from me and deliver it to you. Everything the Father has is also mine. That is why I've said, he takes from me and delivers to you. And last verse. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't handle them now. I read that already. Sorry, I doubled it up. But this person that Jesus is speaking about is the Holy Spirit. He says, when I send the friend, and that word is parakletos. And I believe that Jesus was telling us the truth when he said, it is better that I go so that I can send the helper to you. You know, this word parakletos is made up of two words, and, and the, the writer, John, is the only one who's actually used this word in the Bible. He uses it on four or five occasions. 
And the majority of the time he's using it to simply, um, it, it describes the word comforter or comfort. But it's made up of two words, and the first part is para, which means uh, beside or alongside. And the second one is, is kaline, is to call. And I do believe that Jesus has given us this comforter because his idea was that we as Christ followers would be in a war. And in that war, we would infiltrate enemy territory. And in that war, we would be faced with a lot of uncomfortable situations. But I also think about John using this word. Because John was the disciple, often we hear the disciple of the chest. John was the one reclined at the table with Jesus with his, with his um, ear on the heart of Jesus on his chest. And I can only imagine that for someone like him, he must have thought, how could it ever be better that Jesus goes? Who here has ever lost a best friend? Anyone? Uh, when I say lost, it could be moved away, just like not in, you know, you can't spend time with them, whatever it is. You know that feeling. Imagine if that friend said to you, it's better that I go because I'm going to send someone else. It's like, is it a person who's going to like be, no, it's, it's actually, it's, a, it's fully God, but it's a spirit being. You're not going to see them like you see me. How is that better? I was thinking about, um, this old movie, I don't know if you've ever seen it, it's called Simon Birch. Anyone? Old movie. You should totally watch it if you haven't. Um, but it's about these two like hooligan boys who are like oddballs and they found each other and became best friends. And, um, and what happens is in the movie, um, one of the boys' mothers has a tragic death. Uh, premature, whatever, whatever. But they describe the process of losing someone like this. When someone you love dies, you don't lose them all at once. You lose them in pieces over time. What I remember most to this day was my mother's scent and how I hated it when it started to disappear, first from her closet and drawers, then from her dresses she had sewn, and finally from her bedsheets and pillowcases. Imagine being John, traveled your three years of your life, and you're hanging on the words of Jesus who says, it's better that I go. Maybe John had a cloak of Jesus, maybe a head covering or something. Maybe they had mobile beds as they went, and John was holding on to some of those garments and the smell of Jesus, and, and he's mourning that process, but knowing that Jesus said someone else is coming. Like, it's easy to think, oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit, yeah, he helps us, all these things. But you've got to understand, the Holy Spirit had to have been more personal to John than even Jesus himself. We think about that. And then, of course, Jesus revisits his disciples before he is taken up to heaven. And the Bible says that he breathed on them. He breathed the Holy Spirit on them. And then he says, go and wait. We all know it. 
always think, well, Jesus, he breathed on the Holy Spirit, but then what are they waiting for if they have the Holy Spirit? Has anyone ever thought that? Or, or what about like Elijah? Like the, the Spirit of God comes on Elijah. It's like, sounds a lot like the Holy Spirit like thing. Comes on him and he outruns Ahab's chariot for like 20 miles. That's supernatural. Right? Or David. David slaying a giant with a stone. Come on. What 10-foot giant dies from getting hit with a slingshot? Or Samson killing a 1,000 people with a donkey jawbone. But Jesus said to his disciples, you need to wait. You need to wait. You know, and I was thinking about preparing for this, is that John the Baptist prophesied something about Jesus. In Matthew 3, he said this in verse 11, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater then I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I don't know your story. I don't know how many people in this room grew up in a very dignified church or a very wild church or no church at all. But here's what I do know, is that Jesus told his disciples, who were already followers and lovers of him, that they needed to wait, to wait for something. You know, they, they had the message, they had the proof, they had, the, they had the experiences of going and, and, and releasing authority and seeing the sick and this and that. They had all these things. But I believe what Jesus was releasing to his church was far greater than those empowered for a moment situations. John says he will come and he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. Apart from Acts 2, where we see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we see that it changed these, these apostles and these, these um, followers of Jesus at such a deep level. The, the Bible tells us that, that they were gathered together in a room, they were worshiping God, they were, they were praying, and suddenly, like a mighty rushing wind, these tongues of fire came and rested on them, and they began to speak in other tongues. Now, these tongues were languages, specific languages. So that the people that were standing around visiting from all over heard them and saying, who are these people praising God and declaring the gospel? Who are these people? Are these not regular average Joe people who don't know my language in essence? 
The same Peter that denied Christ just, just days before, that shied away from political and social pressure, is the same Peter who stands up after being baptized in the Holy Spirit, after this new experience as a believer. He stands up and he says, you killed Jesus. The same Peter that was trying to save his reputation has now been baptized in something that has absolutely changed his perspective. The same disciples that wanted to run and hide and Jesus like, you know, let's save your life. You will never die. All these things. The same disciples when faced with pressure after this experience seem to have a boldness where when the, the turmoil comes and the pressure comes, they don't say, God, take it away. They say, no, God, give us boldness. In Acts 11, verse 15, it says this, and it's Peter recounting a story. As I began to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he fell on us at the beginning. And then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? You see, it was because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that the gospel shattered social boundaries. Here is Peter recounting the story of Cornelius, an upright man who loved God but didn't know God, wasn't worthy of God according to his ethnic background. And yet Peter, as a witness, testifies to the fact that he didn't know what to do because it was evident that God was crossing boundaries in the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 19. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. No, they replied. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience? And they replied, the baptism of John. And Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. It's important for us to realize that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was not the same thing as salvation. You know, Paul is speaking to believers and he says, when you were saved, when you met Jesus, were you baptized in the Holy Spirit? The Cornelius story, they become Christians and then the Holy Spirit falls on them. And they begin to speak in other tongues. 
And it's not so much kosher maybe in our North American church. When was the last time you were in a, in a body of believers where you could hear everybody speaking in tongues? It's not common for us, is it? Probably also doesn't feel too safe. What I've, I've often thought about it is, is when I travel to a different country and they speak another language, I may not understand it, but I can understand that they're speaking a different language. When you and I become sons and daughters of the living king, we go from one kingdom into another kingdom. And part of going into that new kingdom is it comes with a new language. I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to baptize some of us this morning. Now, you may be sitting there, and you have experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You've experienced the evidence of speaking in tongues. But I just want to say this morning, some of us, I believe, God wants to do a baptism of fire on our lives. The only thing he wants is a yielded heart. It's the only thing. And you know, Paul shared a verse, I'm going to read it. Out of the Amplified, we know it. For I resolved to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. I didn't come with wise and persuasive words, but a demonstration of the Spirit's power. The Amplified says this. For I resolved to know nothing, to be acquainted with nothing, to make a display of the knowledge of nothing, and to be conscious of nothing among you except Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and him crucified. And as I was in, passed into a state of weakness and fear, dread, and great trembling after I had come among you, and my language and my message were not set forth in persuasive, enticing, and plausible words of wisdom. Paul was in a situation where he was going to a church where there was a bunch of super apostles who were speaking very eloquently and talking big games and big words. And Paul, Paul had gone to the third heaven. Paul could have fenced with them. He could have thrown down with them. But you know what? He, he, he assumed, actually, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to resolve to know nothing except the simple message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why he says, that's why. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He says, I, the thing I want to know, all I want to know is Christ. That's what I want to know. A man who was baptized in the Holy Spirit, he says, My language and my message were not set forth in persuasive, enticing, and plausible words, but they were in demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power, a proof by the Spirit and power of God operating on me and stirring in the minds of my hearers the most holy emotions and thus persuading them. If there's anything the North American church does not need, it's more intellectual, jazzed-up sermons. I get any one of you say, who's your favorite preacher? So-and-so, so-and-so. And we could probably come up with 20, 30, 40 different people who preach amazing messages. But you know what? Paul resolved to know nothing 
Why? Because Paul knew that if he could preach a simple gospel and get the heck out of the way, the Holy Spirit was going to move. You know where you're at with God. I don't know. You know if you're addicted to something, if you're pretending. You know where your heart is in the right place or in the wrong place. That's between you and God. But I believe that when the Holy Spirit is present, he has the ability to stir in us the most holy emotions and persuade us. God doesn't want the church from two years ago. God doesn't want you from two years ago. God wants you here and now. Second Corinthians 3. Whenever someone turns to the Lord... The veil is taken away, for the Lord is the Spirit. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. I believe some of the fruit or evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is that we have a fresh desire to bring glory and honor to Jesus. Think about Acts 2. The quiet disciples. Tongues of fire. Everything changed. I believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit creates a new boldness and effectiveness in testifying to the gospel and demonstrating it with power. The North American church is so good at silver and gold. But there's a time coming when the North American church is going to have to say, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus, get up. We know the passage. Jesus said, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I wonder if I'm just even Yakub can come up. And uh, this is, a, this is a, a message that requires a response. And um, this is nerve-wracking for me because I don't really know what God is going to do. But here's what I know is that God only requires a yielded heart. And I believe, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter 
what kind of deep, dark situation you're in or what kind of crazy success you're in. You know, you know, when you're in a room, when the Spirit of God is present, you just know what needs to change and you just know what needs to be redeemed. You just know. You could, have, you could have held the line so hard on something. You know, like the Bible says, like, um, I wouldn't know what covet, covetous, covetousness was, except that the, it was revealed in the law. I could have, I could have um, dressed it up to look like something else, like even a virtue. But the reality is when the presence of God is in the room, when the Holy Spirit is in the room, you know. You know. There's no space for games. And I just felt so sober preparing for this. Because I believe God is doing some heart stuff in us. So I'm going to ask you, I think we end there. See, that whole Hebrews, Hebrews 11 thing, we don't have a high priest who's unable to understand where we're at, to understand what we've gone through, unable to relate to us, to understand our reality. See, Jesus knows our reality. And so does Holy Spirit. This is a sobering thing, but I also think we have confidence when we come to God. Sometimes we're nervous. What is... If I surrender, what is that going to look like? Can I just say, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Who cares what it looks like? Because when you surrender, Jesus said, no one who holds on to their life will ever have it. The ones you find are the ones who let it go. If you can let go of the worry of what it will look like, you won't be worried after. You'll be changed. And I just, I do believe God wants to, to baptize some people in the Holy Spirit. If you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit and you want to be, that's all you need is you just need to want to be. That's it. It's that simple. A yielded heart, an open heart. And when you really think about it, the things that we hold on to security, what is the point? the point why do I hold on to my why do I hold on to my insecurity why do I hold on to my false security the things in life that can come and go just so fast why do I hold on to those things it's like that whole Isaiah uh, 60 thing Jesus opens the scroll you know and reads out of Isaiah and he says, I have come to set the captive free, to release the oppressed, 
from bondage. I have come. And we can hold on. It's like the handcuffs are on us, but we can be holding the handcuffs as well. But why? Those handcuffs are owned by the enemy. And his agenda is simple, to steal, kill, and destroy. But the Bible says that Jesus has come, that you may have life, Zoe life, life more abundantly. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not an optional extra. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the single greatest gift that Jesus has empowered his church with to make him known to the nations. And some of you, you've been baptized in the past and you can't even think of the last time you were speaking in other tongues, you were flowing in the Holy Spirit, you were hearing from the Holy Spirit, you were sensing the nearness, that para stand right beside and collide to call. You you can't remember the last time you felt that nearness and calledness from the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, God, I believe, wants to baptize you with fire. The Bible tells us that God is a consuming fire. Whatever fire touches, it consumes. So this is a step of faith. God will minister to you as open as you are willing to open your heart to him. We also know in scripture that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was ministered through the laying on of hands. We see that scripturally. Do I think that's the only way? I don't know. God's God's a mystery. But why don't we stand together? If you, I mean, what Andy preached about last week, I think it's a perfect dovetail. Those birth pains, those, those, what God, you know, what are you doing? We know something's coming, it's this and that. But what is it for you? I mean, we can look at it as the church, but what is it, what is it for you? I'm gonna invite you to come and stand up. If you feel like, Something in what I've said is your thing. I believe God wants to touch you in power. I do. If that's you, I want you to come and stand. I was thinking about, um, I think it's Luke 11, or, you know, Jesus is talking about, he gives good gifts to his children. You know, if you're an earthly father or mother, you know, if your kid asks for something, hey, I'm hungry, can you give me this? It's like, why would you give them something bad? How much more? How much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? You see, we can be nervous of something so we don't ask, but God, like before that passage, He basically says, He says, if your friend comes to you in the night and says, give me bread, I've got guests, I wasn't expecting them, like, will you help me? It's like, you're not going to give him bread just because he's your friend. You're going to give him bread because of his absolute ambition of being at your door in the middle of the night. This is the simple thing. You ask not, you have not because you ask not. But you're standing here. And I believe God wants to minister something to us this morning. I don't know what it is. I feel like it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit for some of us, and it's fire for others. 
And I can only imagine it's a recentering of priorities. It's a recentering of Jesus as King. It's a recentering on faith instead of fear, whatever it is. It's a redeeming. Our, some of us, our past has been our ceiling, and God is saying, It's your floor. I'm taking that thing, and there's more. But I believe He wants to touch us and He wants to mark us this morning. Amen? So I'm going to ask something else. If you are baptized in the Spirit, this is not to seek attention, nothing. I'm going to ask you, can we just take a few minutes here and let's just begin to pray in the Spirit? The Bible says that when you don't know what to pray, the Spirit inside of you prays through you, through you with groans too deep for words, with, with words that we don't understand. The Bible says that our spirit, that our, we in our minds, we actually can think whatever we think and still pray in the Spirit. So the important thing is when you're praying in the Spirit, you're also praying in your mind and in your heart. You're saying, God, I don't know what to pray, but do more, do more, do more. God, I'm open. God, I surrender. You know why we lift our voices? Not just because it humiliates us, but we lift our voices because we're, we're telling our bodies to come into obedience with what God is wanting to do in our spirit. And when we sing, you know, it's like, you know, I could sing a song, but you know, it'd be way more awkward as if I had to sing a song to my wife with just the two of us in the room. It would be even more awkward if I had to sing a song that I wrote to my wife with just two of us in the room. Because it would feel really vulnerable. But this is what makes worship and prayer and speaking to God vulnerably so effective, is that we can finally get us out of the way so we can hear what he's trying to say. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're that you're here right now. Thank you that where, where your spirit is declared Lord, that's where there is freedom. Freedom from addiction, freedom from bondage. Not just freedom out of something, but freedom into something. Job said, now my, ear, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen. Lord, I just pray even now, I just sense the Holy Spirit opening eyes, opening eyes, opening eyes. like the Holy Spirit is, is symbolized by water, oil, um, fire, wind. Jesus said the, the wind comes and it goes wherever it pleases. You don't see where it's coming from and so it is with the children of the Spirit. Lord, I thank you that you are birthing something in the Spirit that we can't necessarily explain with words, but you're changing it in our hearts in Jesus' name. You're changing it in our spirits in Jesus' name. You are breaking addiction in Jesus' name. You are changing mindsets in Jesus' name. People who have driven, been driven by success, you are causing them to be driven by kingdom. People have been driven by fear. You are switching them into faith. Unsurrendered areas, Lord. You are winning those areas over through your love, your grace, and your mercy and the power of Holy Spirit.
some of you, it's the past is holding you back, not because of judgment, but it's holding you back in the sense of things that were lost. Holy Spirit, won't you find those things, bring those things up. The days of fire, the days of purity, the days of surrender. I believe God's saying he's bringing those things that were lost back again. He's bringing them home. But now you're going to live those out with more in your hands. The Bible tells us that the world... The church is not peripheral to the world, but the world is peripheral to the church. In other words, the church is at the center of what God is doing and building. God does not win battles our way. Lord, I repent. Battles I've fought in the flesh, battles I've fought in my wisdom, battles I've fought in my way of thinking instead of trusting you.